Good morning. Glad you are here today, uh, especially for those of you uh, who, are, who are giving up the Seahawks game, okay? I know some of you, it's a big deal. So I'm DVRing it, so don't tell me the score afterwards, all right? You know, uh, some of us are kind of watching that part of it. So um, we, uh, by the way, also welcome to those of you that join us online as well. We're glad that you're uh, with us this morning. Um, we uh, have been in a series that we've uh, started uh, called, whoops, Back up one, connecting with God. By the way, I have a new clicker, so we'll see how frustrated I get with this one, you know. Um, so uh, connecting with God, and th- this is all about this, this longing we all have to be deeply connected to the creator uh, of the universe. Uh, and and it's, it's hard. Did people connect differently? Um, how many of you have heard of the book Love Languages, you know? And how many of you know what your spouse's love language is, you know? How many of you wish it was something else? I mean, um, so... So I think the thing, same thing applies in the spiritual realm. We connect with God differently. Uh, and so that's kind of what this is, is about over these next couple of weeks. Last week we talked about all of the, the spiritual disciplines, and, and there's lots and lots of them. And, and I, I liken it to going to the YMCA. You know, there's about 100 ways you can get healthier at the YMCA. But not all of them work for you. Amen? Yeah, if you've been there, you're like, in fact, some of those, I'm pretty sure were designed by people with torture in their background somewhere uh, as to why they did some of those machines. So um, in the spiritual realm, we want to talk about that as well. But the verse for our series uh, is this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You want to get closer to God? Start moving that direction and, and he will get nearer to you. So let's say this together and let's include the reference, okay? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, James 4, 8. And I like to include that, that reference because uh, James was the brother of Jesus. And if there's anybody for whom it would have been hard, it has to be the siblings of Jesus. Can you imagine if someone came to you and said, the same guy that gave you a noogie when you were 12 is God incarnate, Okay. That, that would just be hard for, for him. And, so, and yet he is the one that really kind of points us in, in the right direction. And so um, I want to start into uh, three, three major areas, three love languages, if you will. I think people fall into these categories. Uh, and, and you can kind of see these in Scripture. But I'll be honest, a lot of this just grows out of having been a pastor a long time and, and watching people and how they connect to God and, and reflecting on my own ways of connecting uh, with God. Because I find there are some ways that that connect some people that just don't connect me at all, and things that connect me don't connect others. And so when I think about this, I think about these kind of three areas. Uh, There's people who connect with their head. And and I'll I'll admit, I fall into that category. I like to think about theology. I like to think about God. I'm uh, rigorous about what is good teaching and not good teaching, what is uh, in the the stream of orthodoxy and what is not in the stream of orthodoxy. And and so I've given a lot of time and energy and treasure uh, to this in my life. And if you're that kind of a person, uh, you like the word, right? You like it when I talk about, you know, Greek words or Hebrew words, or I talk about culture and, and all of those, because understanding is, is really, really big for you. And then there's some of you, uh, you connect with the heart. You're, you're an emotions kind of guy, you know? When, when you come to church, if the music's really good, it doesn't matter whether I stand up here or not. You're kind of like, oh, I've got to listen to the preaching now. Because you've already worshipped God in that, in that moment, you know? For those of us that are head guys, it's kind of like, okay, let's get this done so we can get to the sermon, you know? Kind of a thing. And so it, it's, it's not bad. It's, it, it's just 
is just different uh, for us. And I, I saw this play out in my own family. I'm, I'm very much a head guy. My sister is like 100% a heart person. She, she just, man, the music was what it was all about uh, for her. Uh, my dad was a heart person. And, and so uh, we'll talk about uh, that one uh, next week. Uh, but, but the heart people are, are the ones that just connect. They connect through music. They connect through art. They connect through nature. They connect through those, those kinds of things. And then, yeah, man, there's a heart person right back there. <laughs> you know? Now, now, don't misunderstand. I connect to God through my heart, too. I don't mean to make too much fun of that. I love, I love the music, okay? Uh, and, and I connect through my hands, and we're going to talk about that one. And we all connect. But you probably have a primary one, one that just really kind of that's, that's the one. How many of you listen to, like, Christian music in your car a fair amount? Yeah, there's our heart people right there. You know what I listen to? Podcasts about theology. <laughs> Everybody's like, why would you do that, you know? Well, I'm a head person. It's, it's okay. And so then the last one is the hands one. And, and the hands people are people who connect to God through service. And the interesting thing about this one is these people uh, sometimes get a bad rap because they're not up front. If you're a heart person, you know, the band is up front. If you're a head person, the preacher is up front. But the service people, uh, we, don't, we don't see them quite as much. And yet they're in many ways some of the best people uh, in, in the church. And, and they connect uh, when, when they serve. And so just to kind of say it like this, this is about connecting to God with hands that, that serve. So when you get done writing that down for all you hands people, because you like to write things down, I want you to take your hands and look at them. Do this. Okay, everybody do this. Okay. Okay. Tell me about your hands. What do you see? What do you think about? Fingers. Should have washed them this morning. No. What else? Calluses. Ooh, we'll talk about that. What? Heard somebody say rings. Yeah, it's it's where we put our covenant symbol. Right? Good. What else? Wrinkles. <laughs> what? Holding? Yeah. Yeah, someone in the 8 o'clock said opposable thumb. There's a scientist, you know. But this allows us to grasp. Yeah. What else do you see? What? Stars? Scars. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. Arthritis. Yeah, they, they age with us, too. Someone said wrinkles, I think, in there. So, so. Fingerprints, yeah, unique identity, excellent, yeah. Hands are really an interesting sort of thing. There are, there are theologians that do like whole books about the hands and, 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 and that component of it. And as I've thought about it a little bit, I, I've thought, you know, for a lot of us, this is the way we make our living, right? Even for someone like me, for most of my living comes out of my words, I still have to type things. I have to turn pages. I have to do all. Without my hands, it would be very hard to make a living. And for some of you, you make a living with your hands, especially if you're artistic or, or good with those kinds of, kinds of things. Uh, ha- hands are used... Um, uh, to, to communicate in, in so many ways. When, when you touch somebody, when you, you pick up a, a child, uh, when you, you make music, some, some of them make great music with their, with their hands uh, uh, up here. Um, we, we use it to communicate through gestures. You know, there, there are all kinds of like this. You all know what that means? That means good, right? You know, there are lots of hand gestures. Some you used in traffic when you were in adolescence to communicate things we don't want to talk about. See, you all thought about that, didn't it, when I said gestures, you know? We use them to defend ourselves. Uh, we use them to build things, right? How many of you have built something with your hand at some point? And, yeah. 
I have two. We weren't sure what it was, but, but I, I built something uh, with it. You know, uh, hands are very sensitive. There are lots of nerves in there. Uh, and, and without hands, everything becomes enormously more complicated. They're really, really, really in, important in our lives. Uh, but here's what I know about them. Uh, and that is that Jesus used his hands in powerful ways. Just extraordinary ways. Uh, one of the things, just for those of you that are kind of uh, head people, is to read the Bible with different filters. Like, I'm going to look at all the times where hands were used when I read through the Gospels. It's amazing if you do things like that. I'm going to look at, you know, fill in the blank, whatever uh, there is involved in that point. And so Jesus, uh, the, the words for a hand and fingers and touch appear nearly 200 times just in the Gospels. Think about that. 200 times in the Gospels. And, and most of those are associated with Jesus and Jesus touching someone in some way, shape, or another. Jesus was always touching people uh, in all kinds of ways. Um, and, and so think a little bit about Jesus' hands for the minute. You remember that he was a carpenter, right? So what you do uh, has a lot to do with your hands. And probably by carpenter, he worked mostly with stone because that's what they had in those days. And I don't know if any of you have ever met somebody that works with stone. In my last church, I had a bricklayer. And, and the dude had like the strongest grip ever. It's like, good to see you, Edward. It's just really good to see you, you know, because he just, and his hands were all really calloused. And so if you think about Jesus' hands, they were probably very calloused from the work he did. They were probably scarred because you'd, things would happen when you work with your hands like that. They would get cut and, and they would break. He was probably had extraordinary strength both in his hands in his upper body because he was always moving stones around in all of that. And, and, and you've got to remember, in, in the first century, there were no gloves and there were no lotions to speak of. They would use a little oil, but, but that, that's about it. And so he would have these very calloused hands, these hands that, that, that worked hard. And yet, everywhere he went, he touched. I think one of the most extraordinary ones is when he healed lepers, he was always touching them because you weren't supposed to touch lepers. He touched people that needed to be touched. He, I, I, I think about what it must have been like when he was feeding the 5,000. You know, at first you're kind of doing your work, and pretty soon you just keep watching the basket to see if another fish is going to come out of there, right? And every time you'd come out and pull another fish, another loaf, and it just kept coming, and it just kept coming, and it just kept coming. His hands were involved in that. He, he was uh, reaching out uh, to, to, to Peter in, in the boat. That's that picture there. You know, he could have just said to Peter, rise up out of the water. And Peter would have rose out right out of the water. But he didn't do that. He reached out and he touched Peter. He, he grabbed him. He, there's something about this, this connection, this in, in involvement. With the, to the blind, sometimes he would, he would put mud and he would actually touch their eyes. And the cross, of course, represents one of the biggest ones where he was nailed to the cross. And we, we think it was probably in what we would today call the wrist. But in the ancient world, that was a part of what they called the hand, you know. And he had the, the scars from that. And then the one that I think is just so powerful is when he washes the disciples' feet. And so I want us to, to look at John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles with you uh, today, we want to take a, a peek at this, uh, 12 through 17. And just, just to bring you up to speed while you're looking at this, this is the end of his ministry. His public ministry is over. Uh, this is the end in many ways of his ministry with his disciples. He's going to take them to the garden and they're going to fall asleep while he's praying. And then he goes to the cross. And so this is the, the very last uh, intentional, meaningful encounter he has with his disciples. This is his last moment to really teach them and he chooses to, to wash their feet and we know from the other gospels that before he did this they were having an argument and they were having that ever-present argument about who was the most important right 
And so there's this weird contrast between, I'm the most important. No, I'm the most important. No, I'm the, you know, and they're arguing about that. And in the midst of that somewhere, Jesus gets up from the table and, and takes off his outer garment and wraps a towel around him and begins to, to wash their feet. And in the ancient world, they would have probably been laying on their elbow. The tables were low and their feet would have been sticking out all, all around it. And you can just imagine that, that they're arguing about this and nobody's really paying attention. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins to wash somebody's feet. And somebody's like, what are you doing down there? And, and there's Jesus, you know. Don't you think there was a giant pregnant silence at that moment <laughs> around that? And so a- after he's done, he says, he says this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I have done for you? And the answer to the question is no. They, they didn't understand that, what he had done for them. He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And I don't know if you get this, but in that culture, that would have been pretty abrupt, pretty jarring, because only the lowest servants did that. They would not be inclined to wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I want to read that again because that is one powerful kind of sentence there. I, Christ the Lord, have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. That you should do as I have done for you. Yes, what a powerful thing he said. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He's kind of affirming the culture. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The interesting piece here is that word in there that's translated example. I have set for you an example. In Greek, that can, well, in English, that can be like an illustration. A preacher tells a story. Here's an example of kind of what I'm talking about. But in the original language, the word there for example carries much more than that. It actually carries the idea of imitating what is done. You do what I have done, right? So in in our culture, when we talk about teaching, we often talk about this environment. Somebody talks and and somebody listens and there'll be a test at the end. Uh, But in in the ancient world, uh, they they didn't teach as much like that. There was some of that, but a lot of the teaching was actually just bringing somebody alongside with you and say, watch what this person does and, and, and imitate them. I really saw this when I, when I spent time in Brazil, um, a lot of the, the people that were pastors were barely, barely literate there, but, but the head pastor was well-educated and some of the key ones. And so, so rather than teaching a lot of classes, although they did that too, a whole lot of the pastoral training was, you just go with this person, and wherever they go and whatever they do, you do the same thing. And so if they went and preached, they listened to a preach. If they went and called on somebody, they saw them call on somebody. If they went and served, they saw them, saw them served. And the idea is you imitate it a lot and you learn it, Right? Right? Yeah, okay, good. Just want to make sure you're with me on all of that. And, and that's, ex- that's exactly what the word example means there. It, it means imitate what Christ has done. And, and so Jesus taught through doing, through, through an example. He, he was a, a hands-on person. He, 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 he communicated, he connected with God through, through his hands and through service, and he connected with others in, in that way. And, and this, this example is just so powerful for me because I, I'm just reminded every single time It wasn't just that he washed the feet of the people that did him good and his friends. 
he washed Judas's feet as well. Man, that just, the day I figured that out, that just changed everything for me. And not only that, but, but we were pretty confident that, that by then Jesus knew not only what Judas was going to do, but that Jesus had been stealing from them for quite some time. I, I don't know if I could do that, you know? My righteous anger gets up. I'm, I'm a head person. That's wrong. But he washed his feet with everyone else's. And then he said after that, do you understand? Um, I don't know. And the message is nobody's too good to serve. Nobody is too good to serve. And if you think you are, you're confused about your station in the kingdom of God. Because the king of kings and the lord of lords washed the feet of Judas who would betray him and who had been stealing from them. The gap between the bottom and the top isn't as big as you think it is. If you, you, you do this, there, there's a huge blessing as well in this. I like this last line. Now, let, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That, that's a powerful verse. And it's, another, it's again where I think science is just catching up to what, what God has been teaching all along. One of the things we know is that when people are struggling internally and, and you know, kind of the, oh, woe is me and all of that, is if you will get up and you will serve someone or you will help someone else, it helps. There's something powerful about serving others that just makes you feel good about the world. Turns out God wired us up that way. And so that's an important part of it. And um, it's so important that everyone be involved in serving. Uh, I was at a conference a number of years ago at a, a mega church, and uh, the, the lead pastor was sharing with us about kind of this concept. And he was sharing with us about a man in his church who was the CEO of a major corporation. He said you would all recognize it. He didn't share with us what it was. He said he makes millions of dollars a year, runs a company that's worth billions of, uh, of dollars. And he said, we love that he serves in our church, but I had an encounter with him that kind of changed my perspective. Because he is such a high-capacity volunteer, they wanted to move him into a place where he would be overseeing a lot of other people because he could handle that kind of thing. He's the guy you want in charge of a big ministry. And, and, and he, he wasn't doing that. He was, he, was, he was teaching like fourth and fifth grade boys. Ever taught fourth and fifth grade boys? Lord have mercy, thank you, you know. I, I was once a fourth and fifth grade boy and they are squirrely, you know. It's just the way it is with them. And, and he was doing that and so he kind of came to him, he talked to him and the guy said, listen, I really appreciate that. I'm flattered that you would do this but I, I need to continue to, to volunteer in this capacity. And he finally said, well, tell me what's, why? Why is that? That just didn't make sense to this pastor. And he said, because they keep me grounded. Because, because they keep me humble, because they remind me that they're in that big a gap between the top and the bottom, and we live in a culture where it's really easy to say, man, that person's at the top, they're so far out there, you know, they couldn't care about that. Be like Christ, serve through, through all of this, it keeps us grounded. And so, um, connecting to the, to the creative of the universe through service is kind of what we're talking about. And, and for some of you, this is really uh, in, important to you. This is how uh, you connect with your hands. You, you teach by example. You say, come with me and, and follow me. That's how God is, has wired you up. And, and the truth of the matter is this. We are commanded to do, more, to do more than think like Jesus. We must behave like him. It is not enough. I used to tell people, it's not enough to be right. You have to be like Jesus. You know, it's not enough to have all your theology right and it's not enough to have great worship services where everybody's dancing in the aisles. At some point, we have to behave like Jesus behaved, amen? 
have to do what he, he called us to do. His example was as important as his teaching. Let me say that again. His example was as important as his teaching. Maybe more important because we see his teaching lived out in practical kinds of ways. And he spent his whole life serving others. In fact, he said, I did not come to be served. And he was the one person that could have come to be served. But I came to serve. Yeah. So, so now let me, let me push just a, a little bit further here. And um, don't... Don't call the DS until I get done with this, but I believe with all of my heart that we are not saved by works. But without works, we probably aren't saved. You know? I, I, I don't believe that you can do anything to make God love you more. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. Amen. Praise be to God. But when you, the love of Christ comes into you, there should be something that pushes you out to share it with others. To, to help others in, in some kind of way. And if that isn't in there, there's a question about whether you really have an authentic encounter with Jesus. Now, it may look different. It will look different in all of you, but this is essential to who we are as followers of Jesus. In fact, uh, we believe um, that every follower of Jesus must serve others in some way. It, it's, it's a part of what we're at. We, we serve in some sort of way. It, it, it's, it's not optional. It, and there are times for, for rest and all of that. And, and if some evangelicals kind of got so like, if you're not serving every second, you're something wrong with you and it just exhausts people. That's not, that's not what's intended in here, okay? Some of you have come from situations that were difficult and you need to rest for a while before you get back involved in serving. But, but everybody sooner or later is involved in serving in some way, shape, or another. Some of you do this professionally. You've, you've got professions that are involved, like teachers and social workers and firemen and policemen, and, and you, you kind of do that as a part of it. But all of us have to be involved in some way or another. But for some of you, it's more. And for those folks, for some, serving others is the most intimate form of worship. This is when you feel connected to God, when you are doing something for someone else. Not, not because you have to, but because, because you love people and you want to do it. For you, service is worship, and it's important to your spiritual life. If you don't do this, it's going to be very hard for you to worship with the, with the word and to worship with song because this is how you connect. You see Jesus in others and you want to serve. It's just natural for you. In fact, Jesus said, when I was hungry, you fed me, and thirsty, you gave me to drink, a stranger, and you welcomed me in. You're the folks going, amen, in that moment. That's what you want to do. It's the backbone of the church. And, 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 and hear this. I believe those with the gift of worshiping God in service are the most beautiful face of Jesus in the body of Christ. You look at them and you go, that's what Jesus was like. Unfortunately, we live in, in an era where we, we, we think the face of Jesus we want people to see is the preacher. People who connect with their head. And sadly, what we see them doing is condemning others and disagreeing with one another and fighting. and all oh, That's not a pretty face of Christ. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe in getting theology right. I really do. But the beautiful face of Jesus is the servant Jesus. And those of you that are gifted in this area, we so need you to be out front so that others may see what you do. There's a great example of this in, in Scripture by a guy by the name of Barnabas. How many of you heard of Barnabas? Yeah, Barnabas is, is, is uh, I think he's a key character. Um, and, and so uh, I want to talk just a little bit about him. Where do you, anybody know where the first place where Barnabas shows up in Scripture? Acts? 
What part of Acts? Anyone know? Yeah, okay, that's a hard one. Most people think that the first place that he shows up is when he kind of brings Paul to the council, but that's actually not right. Acts uh, chapter 4, we find Barnabas, the first example of him, and what's going on is the church is taking up an offering, and he is gone, and he's sold some, sold some property, and he comes, and he brings it to the church to advance the kingdom of God. And so one of the primary characteristics of Barnabas is he's generous. He's, he's just a, a generous sort of people. It's a part of what he does. And then later on, when everybody's afraid of Paul, right? That, oh, this guy, he's been killing people. He's the one that goes and gets Paul and brings him right into the midst of all of the other brothers and says, we're going to love him whether you like it or not. Well, not that's kind of a paraphrase of the scripture. But, but, but that's what he does. And, 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 and so Paul becomes a, a part because of that. And, and he would eventually go on to lead the work at the church of Antioch. Uh, and, and it gets to be so big that, that he, he can't deal with anymore. So he goes and he finds Paul now. And he brings Paul to Antioch to, to help him with the work. And he becomes the mentor for Paul. And if you read the early part of Acts, it always says Barnabas and Paul. And there's a cultural thing there, an idiom uh, in the ancient world. You always said the name of the most important person first. So it's Barnabas and, and Paul. And then if you look a little later on in Scripture, it switches around and it becomes Saul and Barnabas. And so we know Saul actually eventually exceeds Barnabas. He becomes more important in, in the church. And Barnabas rejoiced in that. That's what I love about these people. You, you serve with your hands. You do service. You, you care about people. You're, you're a doer. They, they love it when other people do great in the midst of it, all of that. And, and so he, he, he cared for Paul in so many ways. And, and then later on, he and Paul have a major blowout fight over a guy by the name of John Mark. Because John Mark kind of, you know, wimped out on him on one of the trips and, and Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance and Paul didn't want to give him a second chance. Paul was a head guy, okay? Um, and, and Barnabas was a serve guy. And, and so it was such a big deal that, that Paul took Timothy and went on one route and Barnabas took John Mark and, and, and went on another route. You know what the cool thing about John Mark was? You know what he did? Remember the book of Mark? He wrote the first gospel. Can I say to you that Barnabas may be the most important person other than Jesus Christ in the New Testament? Because without Barnabas, we very likely don't have Paul, and we very likely don't have the book of Mark, which was the first one out of which many of the others would copy a part of the New Testament. Do you see how important those people who connect through service are? Way more important than preachers. We're a dime a dozen, man. You know, but people that serve, it's so important. This is my, my dad's gift. He, he, he was a part of, of this. He, he, he just, he couldn't, he wasn't a, an articulate speaker at all. It was like, okay, spit it out, dad. You know, he, he, he loved to sing. He liked to connect with his heart. But he was really bad at it, you know, really bad. You'd hit middle C, he couldn't match it. You know, he's, we were standing next to him during worship, would kind of do this, you know, so we could sing because he was off, you know. But what he loved was serving, in my growing up years, I remember every single month we were going to the rescue mission. We'd make this giant thing a chili and these breads and it'd kind of take over the whole house and we'd go down there with the church and, and we would have, have the service down at the rescue mission. My dad would drag all the people in the, in the church along because it was a little church and you could twist everybody's arm, you know. He made me play the piano every, every. and so for all of my years I, I thought I was being tortured and now I see that just as a rich heritage. He loved through 
through service. So let's talk quickly about some ways to connect to God through service if this is your gift. Uh, and the, the first one is volunteer at church. Sunday morning, it woohoo! Thank you. There's a volunteer, there's a service person, you know? The first impressions team, it's all these things that are greeters and ushers and, and parking lot greeters and coffee shop and children's check-in booth and the info booth and, and teens and musicians and technical people and projection and coffee and water and all, all of those sorts of things. It's a great place to get involved and get to know people. Another one is give money. You say, well, how does that? Remember where we first saw Barnabas? Making a sacrificial offering in, in, in the midst of this. He, he cared about that. And these are the people that love giving over and above. They get the joyful giver thing. That, that's, that's a part of it for them. They, they love to worship the Lord in giving. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, and then another one is local compassionate ministries. Uh, this, is, this is all of the things that we do around the, uh, in, in, in to serve the poor in our, our community. Church of the Nazarene was born in the inner city of L.A. In fact, Phineas Brzee, who founded the Church of the Nazarene, got kicked out because he was attracting the wrong people. And the Methodists of that time didn't like that crowd. And so that was a part of why he had to left. So it, it, see Christina if, if you want to be involved in that. There's all kinds of ways and things they're doing. And, and then there's a, a ministry of helps where we just help people in the church. We have some people that, that need help. We have a, a young couple uh, and he's quite frankly in a really bad situation with cancer uh, and, and she needs some help around the house. If you're good with that kind of thing, come and see me. We'd love to get you uh, in, involved in that. And then our, our homeless ministry where we go and we serve uh, down at Salvation Army. We have an ongoing partnership with the Salvation Army and we want to continue to strengthen it. They are, they are our sibling uh, in terms of, of where we have come theologically. Uh, it's a powerful sort of thing. It's really fun. You'll discover that a lot of the stuff they say about homeless people isn't true. Are there some that are dangerous? Absolutely. Most of them, though, are wonderful people who, for whatever reason, uh, just can't, can't make it in the real world. Um, Amen. My dad was a homeless person, by the way. And then uh, we can connect to the cold weather shelter in our community. Uh, when, we, uh, we, when it drops below freezing, uh, we run a cold weather shelter that we're going to do out of the Salvation Army. It's, you volunteer and it's an overnight kind of thing. It, it's cool. You can catch up on all your reading, uh, be a part of it. There's a, a, a training this Friday. I would encourage you uh, to be a part of that. We need men and women uh, if they would be willing to uh, help with that. And so if it's going to be less than freezing, below freezing for like five hours, we open open it up. Because a number of years ago, we had a homeless person freeze to death in our community. We do not want that to happen again. Amen? Okay. You can sign up for that on our app as well. And then this last one, uh, well, one more, Bucket Sunday. When we do Bucket Sunday, that is the, min the, uh, the money we give to help the poor in our community that, that support uh, Compassionate Ministries. And it is Bucket Sunday. And when you go out, any money you put in that goes to, goes to help the poor of our community. It doesn't pay the budgets or anything uh, around here. I would encourage you uh, to be a part of that. And then this last one, and I want to go quickly here, is that I want to I raise a challenge to you. Uh, the Salvation Army, like I said, is a partnership we are continuing to get closer to and we want to continue to do that uh, because they, they're really good at this kind of stuff and we're one of the larger churches and so if we can bring those two together I think we can do powerful stuff for the kingdom amen and so one of the things is it just costs money. Uh, and so we're going to um, have a presentation about the Salvation Army. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to, to be a, a ringer, a bell ringer for the Salvation Army uh, this season. This is a, you, get, you get to wear one of these really cool things like this. It's a great fascist statement. Look like Jesus, okay, uh, in, in the midst of all of that. So let's, uh, let's play the video, uh, and then Lynn McCoy is going to come and talk with us. 
Jenny Ruiz. I'm Jenny Rudzant, the Social Services Coordinator with the Salvation Army here in Marysville. The Salvation Army's motto is heart to God, hand to man, and that really defines who we are and what we do. As a case manager, I do a lot of community resourcing. People come in off the streets and it's kind of like putting a puzzle together, finding what their needs are. We work with Mike and Rochelle actually quite often with getting people treatment and they want to tell me their story and talk to me and reach out for help. We go out and to the encampments and jails and other places where we're referred or do outreach and meet with people who are transient or homeless. Yes, there's, there's heartbreak and disappointment when you see somebody lapse and fall back, but we always reassure them we're going to start over again. At the Salvation Army in Marysville, months after these four met, life is very different for John Carlson and Todd Smith. I was homeless for about a year and a half and ran into Jenny here at the Salvation Army. Changed my life, brought me back around. I got a car again, housing, starting work. Been a big help for me in my life, you guys. So this place can't help if you want them to. I ended up in all places the Salvation Army. Jennifer, the lady that works there, had me come in a couple weeks, a couple times a week, and go into the group therapy to start dealing with not just the loss of my wife, I lost my home, my business, everything. I was living in my van with no job, no income, nothing. Through the Salvation Army, I was able to start becoming more positive, realizing that my life wasn't over. And she asked me the question of, what would your wife want for you? She wanted me to continue living, enjoy life, and remember her, but not live in a deep depression for the rest of my life. Good morning. Well, my name's Lynn McCoy, and I'm a member of the board of the Salvation Army. Now, I'm wondering, how many of you have heard the song Silver Bells by Bing Crosby? It's a Christmas, and we all have heard that song. It's Christmas time in the city. And what you may not know is that the inspiration for that song 
was Salvation Army bells. And pretty soon you're going to be hearing those all over the city. And I'm here to tell you what we do with the money that we get from that. Um, we are at 1108 State Street, and the lovely woman that you saw on the film, Jenny Rudzand, is the leader in Marysville. Um, we serve meals um, Tuesday and Thursday morning, breakfast Tuesday and Thursday morning, dinners on Wednesday, and every single Sunday, your church, headed by Christina, who is the head angel, comes and serves wonderful meals to those people. We are averaging 90 meals every single Sunday. Now, that means 30, 40 people in attendance who are maybe having two or three helpings, and that is such a blessing for them. Amen. Along with that, we have a laundry truck that does laundry for the people while they are eating, and we are hoping to get a shower truck that will give showers as well. We also have people who are dealing with their own alcohol and drug issues who have overcome them by the grace of God who talk to the people who are eating, many of whom are dealing with alcohol, drug, and mental health issues. Here, the number one problem is homelessness. And the Salvation Army is there with open arms and open hearts. Jenny helps people with all of their issues, um, and we help them with housing and with food and with whatever they need. We have a clothing bank uh, where we help people with clothes so that they can go out and apply for work. We have budget and job training, emotional regulation classes, and case management, dealing with whatever they need. This year, at the Back to School Drive, we were able to help 600 students with backpacks. Can you believe in Marysville, our hometown, there are 600 students who need help? And this church is the example of the motto that William Booth said, heart to God and hand to man. And that's why my husband and I have ended our search and will be here with you. Now, let me invite you to come and visit us, see what we do. And I want to close with this. I'm not just up here as a board member. I'm up here as the living example of what the Salvation Army does. Because at 12 years old, 
they found me hiding in a Graham bus depot in San Francisco, homeless, sexually abused, terrified. They took me from that place. They loved me and fed and clothed me. They raised me. And I stand before you today to ask you to help us. Reach out to that child that nobody wants. Reach out to that man and woman who've lost all hope. And if you help us ring the bells this year, that's what you will be helping us do. May God bless you. Amen. Can I help you down? Help you down. Stick my hand. Amen. They make a difference, and we want to be a part of that. Amen? I, I do not let very many people stand in the pulpit and make a pitch for raising money, but the Salvation Army, like I said, they are our theological and, and our historic siblings in all of this. And I just think there's a huge potential for Generations Community and Salvation Army to come together and make a big difference in our world. Okay, I think there's huge potential for Generations Community and Salvation Army to come together and make a huge difference in our community. Yes. So here's, here's my challenge to you. I want us to be number one in raising money out of, out of Marysville. Okay. <laughs> that means you got to volunteer. That means you got to get in, involved with this. And so I, I, on our app, if you have our app, you can sign up on the app. Go to the connection booth. You can sign up there and connect with them. Uh, talk to Lynn. There's all kinds of ways you can do that. But do not miss the opportunity because remember the last part of our, our verse? That you are blessed if you follow the example of Jesus Christ. And I, I'll go one step further. To the, to the person or the small group, you can do this as a small group with your friends, whatever, that raises the most money, I will give you a trophy in our church. So we want two trophies, okay? <laughs> we're going for the trophy for raising the most money and we're going for the other one. And, and I, I do that to make it fun. But they found her in a bus station. Change the world. We're going to worship the Lord uh, in giving. In, this is our regular tithes and offerings, and afterwards we'll have our, our bucket Sunday, but I want to challenge you. Your money is God's money. Amen. 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 Let's, uh, let me pray. Father God, Lord, um, <laughs> as the child of a homeless person, Father, this just matters a lot. And so I, I just pray, Father, that today you would... Um, change us. We have been moving towards this for a long time, but Father, I, I pray we would have the most compassionate heart of Christ of any church in, in our community, Father. And I pray that you would raise a lot of money, that it might be used for the kingdom of God, that it might be used to make a difference in people who so desperately need it. Lord, we would be ungrateful if we didn't acknowledge that, that so much of what you have done for us, you have done for us, Lord. And we are so blessed. So make us servants, I pray. I pray now that you would bless and multiply this offering to the glory of your name and the advancement of your kingdom. And we ask it in.